Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Rethinking Supply Chain. This is Diana Chen, and I'm here with your host, John Abrams. John, how's it going today? Ah, it's going well. It's a beautiful day in Chicago. Awesome. So, John, I was reading this article from the IDC, and there was a quote that really struck me. It said, uh, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. 60% of companies expected their business to be disrupted within the next three years by a competitor with superior supply chain capabilities. And I just thought that was so crazy that, I mean, 60% is such a high number. And um, I guess my question to you is just like, how do businesses get around that? Like it, what mm. is supply chain visibility possibly one of the ways that businesses can tackle that and, you know, like reduce that number? And, you know, that is a stunning number. So I know IDC and they put out some good research. So I, I got to imagine that they've got some analysis behind that that is worthy of consideration. And, and it'll be interesting to dig into that to find out how expansive their interview set was. You know, is it just U.S.? Is it global? But I would, while the number is stunning, 60% of business, maybe let's roll back a little bit. 60% are going to be disrupted, which is an interesting term because that sort of signals to me that they believe that disruption, that's a significant term. It means that you may not be impaired, you may not be out of business, but disrupted. And if you're going to be disrupted by a competitor, that that sort of implies that your business model is being challenged. And that's fascinating. I, I We might want to uh, share that report maybe even uh, do a podcast and just tee off on that report, whether it's you and I or with a guest, because that's, that is some frightening information. But I would say, especially in the pandemic era that we're in, where supply chains, regardless of industry, are being disrupted, uh, the businesses who rely on getting parts and pieces and goods and information the pandemic has disrupted those supply chains, and that's 100%. There's, there's no business that hasn't been impacted by the global pandemic at the supply chain level. And once you impact the supply chain, you're challenging the very foundation of how that business operates. So, so if, if IDC is looking at that and saying, or looking at, at uh, uh, factors, and, and certainly they would have done that report before the pandemic. I don't know what the date of it is, but let's dig into that report at some later date. If business is being disrupted during the pandemic and you are now realizing just how critical supply chain is. So let's let's pick on the restaurant industry. So my friend Steve Biggery put out a video piece uh, just the other day. I saw it on LinkedIn this morning. And it was talking about how restaurants need to rethink, retool, redesign if they're going to survive in the age of pandemic. And one part of survival in the pandemic age is how are you going to build a more resilient supply chain? And, and if you don't, you're going to be out of business. And Steve is a big thinker in the QSR and, and other quick service restaurant and other parts of the restaurant industry. Steve, uh, for a time, I think he's given them all up now, but uh, he owned all of the McDonald's for Colorado Springs and, and uh, you know, some towns outside of Colorado Springs. So, so Steve was a big player at McDonald's. 
which is where I knew him. He's an innovative thinker. And he's looking at the pandemic and saying to his, uh, uh, the folks that he coaches and mentors and works for on a consultant basis, he's saying, you better rethink your practices if you're going to survive. So, so if we look at just that one narrow slice uh, restaurant and, and Steve is looking at the pandemic and saying, holy cow, the pandemic is forcing you to rethink your operations. IDC may be spot on that if you've got a better supply chain, a more resilient supply chain than a competitor, you're going to push that competitor to disruption, to use their term. That That is a stunning number. I, I sort of can't get past that. But let me pause and, and consider your other question, which is, is visibility a way to avoid that disruption? And the answer is, uh, well, yeah, because if you look at what supply chain visibility means or implies, let's back up a step. Uh, Supply chain visibility at the really pedestrian level means that I can see things in my supply chain. So if I am Whirlpool, for instance, and I rely on a bunch of uh, screws to put together uh, washing machines, I need to know where those screws are coming from. So so if those screws are being produced in, say, China, and I am assembling those uh, machines in the U.S., I need to know if there's going to be disruption in my supply chain. And really, in a more pedestrian level, can I even see where those parts and pieces are so that I can stage my production, pull in the screws as I need them, and know that my assembly line isn't going to be disrupted because of some impediment, maybe a border closure or maybe some shipping uh, uh, peril. And shipping peril can be as simple as there's a typhoon in a region, and so shipping has to be rerouted, and those supplies take longer to get. Therefore, I know there's going to be disruption. I need to plan around that in order to assemble my, my good. And all supply chain visibility means is you've got enough digital visibility to see that disruption and respond to it. So if your supply chain, uh, if you're Whirlpool and you've got supply chain that has those components of visibility, are you in a better position than somebody that competes with you in the assemblage of those machines? And the answer is, quite frankly, yes, you are. Now, how do you get to that visibility? Well, you better start with some basic digital foundation, because if you don't have the digital side, if you're not running your supply chain with tech, you're going to be at a disadvantage because you can't create the visibility. Meaning, uh, if your your goods are coming from an overseas uh, a car- shipping uh, carrier like Marisk, can you actually pull the data in to know that the bolts or the screws are on the container ship and the container ship is unimpeded and can get to California and you can offload those goods? So if you're not, if you're not doing fundamental integration with your logistics side of the supply chain, you really can't then even begin to open up a, uh, some of the basics of supply chain visibility. I, I think the question is, and, and I, I'm still marveling at 60% of business says that they're worried or they could be uh, disrupted by better competitors. 
that, that means that people really are starting to feel that pain and they're feeling that pain before the pandemic really highlighted all of those challenges in the supply chain. So uh, that is probably, so that's probably a 10 minute answer to uh, a really simple question. You know, is there, is there advantage in moving to supply chain visibility? And the simple answer is yes, of course. Uh, the more complex and the reason that I'm, I'm taking so long with this answer is there's so many variables at, that, that allow for elements of supply chain visibility to impact and advantage your business that it's kind of like overwhelming in terms of, of the, the number of ways that you can take the answer to that question. So I'll, I'll take a breath and, and let you, uh, let, let you uh, kind of sift through what you heard and how that lines up with the report that you've read uh, probably much more than I have. But uh, I really want to dig into that report at some point because the idea that it was probably researched ahead of the pandemic and you've got those kind of staggering numbers means that the pandemic is just going to if you were already thinking you could be disrupted by those with supply chain advantage, the pandemic is going to drive that home in a big way. Yeah, no, that's that's really great, John. And hearing you talk about the importance of supply chain visibility, I'm like nodding my head the whole time and I'm totally sold on it. But then, you know, like, like I also go back to that 60% number and I just think how feasible is everything that you're saying in practice. Because if all of this, all of this makes so much sense in theory. So if it's, you know, very feasible to put into practice, then why aren't these 60% of businesses just doing something about it so that they don't feel like they're going to get beat out by a competitor instead of sitting back and doing nothing and, you know, just commiserating about how these competitors are going to come in and beat out their business? Well, I think because um, I was talking with uh, an analyst last week, and he's very interested in what we do at Venzi. And, and Venzi, I don't talk a lot about it here, but Venzi is the, the digital last mile of retail supply chain. So it's a very narrow, niche space that we operate in. And a lot of times, uh, in fact, all the time on these podcasts, and part of the reason I, I love doing them is these podcasts are, are predicated on a much broader discussion of supply chain, which I love to do. And this gives me a, an outlet to bring people in and talk to them and, and keep the, the ideas flowing about what's happening in the totality of supply chain, not just the niche last mile of, of retail. Uh, so, so what's what's interesting uh, to your question? Uh, I was having a, a conversation with this analyst, very interested in what we're doing, understands what we're doing, likes what we're doing, and he said when he talks to people about what we do at Venzi, the answer he gets a lot of the time is, "Well, that problem's already solved. That that last mile of connectivity is already solved." And I was saying that that's absolutely not true. Not only is it not solved, if you dig into any manufacturer's uh, management of their data, 
and this is kind of a funny thing. And when I was in consulting, I used to ask this question all the time. I would, I would say, so uh, Mr. Manufacturer, Ms. Manufacturer, is your data perfect? Is your practices around data governance, are they perfect? And the answer is absolutely not. We're, we're a disaster. And if you get somebody to actually be open and candid with you about what's going on within the four walls of their organization, they can, if they can even identify who is responsible, quote unquote, for data, you're, you're lucky, you're ahead of the game. And I'm talking about enterprise level global manufacturers. If you go to the head of marketing or you go to the CIO or you go to somebody who's in data governance and you say, everything's good with your data and your data practices and your data management within your large global organization, their answer is absolutely not. I'll give you just a simple example of, of why not. Let's say that you're a, a manufacturer of, uh, what should we pick on today? Uh, tennis balls. And you decide that you're going to buy and acquire a manufacturer of racquetballs. Uh, it's an adjacent area. There's uh, intellectual uh, property that can be shared between the production of tennis balls and racquetballs. So we're going to buy that company. Well, that company operates on perhaps an Oracle platform, and perhaps you, manufacturer of tennis balls, operate on an SAP platform. And trying to weave those two platforms together is an absolute nightmare. And, and I know that. I, I've lived that. I worked for, I've worked for several companies who are really good at acquiring things, not so good at stitching them together. And so even if you had, as the tennis ball manufacturer, really good practices around how you organize your data within the four walls of your tennis ball manufacturer, and even if the handball manufacturer had really good data practices, bringing those two entities together destroyed both. You, you now no longer have, have good practices at the tennis ball manufacturer, and you no longer have them at the handball manufacturer because you tried to integrate those two teams and you did some headcount reconciliation, and you laid some people off or, or whatever, you no longer have the competency or the, the solid competency that you had at either organization. Now your data practices as a combined company have fallen apart, and, and it's really hard to, to get back to a good place. So uh, if you then say this combined company needs to have better visibility to how it's shipping things out to a retailer, for instance, or how it's taking in the raw materials. And within the four walls of your organization, your practices have fallen apart. It's now very hard to see what's inbound or to know what's going on outbound. And so really simple uh, concepts here about how am I going to see what's flowing in, what's flowing up, really simple practices. And you ask a really simple question of if it's so obvious, why, does, why is it so hard? And it is so hard because I can't even organize the information within my four walls in a way that is beneficial to my organization. Therefore, taking that one step out, either on the inbound side or the outbound side, makes it exponentially harder. And then if you try and scale, so let's say I get my data practices right to send for sending information to Walmart, well, what if I want to send also to Amazon? 
well, gosh, I just restructured my whole organization so I could feed Walmart. Amazon operates on a way different model. And now I've got to do that again. So, so each connection, whether inbound or outbound, makes data organization practices harder exponentially, quite honestly. And if that's predicated on, I'm not even doing a great job within the four walls of my organization, it's, it, you now begin to see why really simple things, as you suggest, are really hard to do at any level on the global supply chain stage. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. It is. It's interesting that you know some things that make so much sense in theory and sound like common sense, like practices that every business would put in place, are actually a lot harder once you start diving in and you have to work with all the dy- different dynamics of you know the personalities you have on your team and um, all these other factors that you know aren't directly related to uh, supply chain, but all play a part. Yeah. And so I I am, uh, I'm not typically an optimist, but I am very optimistic. And I believe that the transformation from, from sort of, sort of rough data management practices within an organization, uh, and then extending that along the supply chain visibility path. The reason I believe this is all going to change is that, and the, the pandemic in an odd way, helps us with this because the pandemic has spotlighted the inefficiencies, the gaps, the manual processes that made life really hard for, in my part of the world, retailers and manufacturers to communicate. And so people are saying, holy cow, now that you've spotlighted these inefficiencies, what do I do to fix that? And and my answer to that is, well, you have to look at your practices, how much of that is manual, meaning are you having a team of people uh, share a spreadsheet on Google Drive and try and control some aspect of your supply chain with a shared spreadsheet? And as soon as you start to realize that that is a symbol of massive inefficiency, you'll start to say, now, what tools can I rely on to excise that inefficiency from my system? And people will do that very rapidly because, and let's tie this back to your opening question, they will, they will excise that inefficiency because if 60% of business is worried that a more efficient supply chain competitor is going to disrupt them, you will find that inefficiency and you will take it out of your organization so that you can survive and and quite possibly thrive because you've taken manual process and inefficiency out of the system. So I think that if, if IDC is even fractionally correct, directionally correct on that 60% number, we will see this move very quickly uh, to, to uh, eliminate manual and inefficient processes certainly within the four walls of an organization, but then the adjacencies to that are, how do I make more efficient the data flow coming in? How do I make more efficient the data flow going out? And then you have achieved a level of supply chain visibility. So, so while this uh, uh, felt like sort of a, a uh, circuitous path uh, of the discussion, I, I do think we've We've taken the your original point, which is 
60% of companies fear being disrupted because of supply chain uh, inefficiency. We've layered in what does supply chain visibility do for me? And then we've tied that together with, yes, if you start to excise those inefficient points, you will become more data-centric in how you manage your product flows, and you will then achieve supply chain visibility, and you will create a, uh, I was going to say opportunity, but a, a barrier to being disrupted by those with more efficient supply chain, because indeed, you will have become more efficient in that process. I like how you just broke that down. That that makes so much sense, and I love the flow of that. Um, and hopefully, a lot of businesses listening will take that advice to heart and maybe continue the conversation with you because I know that was such, you know, just a high level overview of supply chain visibility, and we could get so much deeper into that. And I would love to dive deeper into that IDC article too because I imagine the IDC is not just throwing out numbers, you know, without having fact checked them, and that that number really just shocks me as it sounds like it shocks you as well. Um, But thanks so much, John. This was awesome. And we'll have to do another episode just diving into that article. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. We will be back again soon with another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. It's brought to you by Venzi, intelligent product content distribution for enterprise commerce. Learn more and say hello to us at venzi.com. That's V-E-N-Z-E-E dot com.